Hey everyone, welcome to my podcast. Today I get the honor and the privilege to speak with Private First Sergeant Brian Nash. He's a combat veteran, a Purple Heart recipient, and the star of an amazing documentary on Netflix called Father, Soldier, Son. His story is incredibly powerful and I highly recommend for everyone to see it. Today I speak to him about my play, The American Soldier, the responses veterans have had to it, and how he thinks veterans can transition more easily back into society. So, let's jump in. You know, I've traveled so many cities. I'm here in New Orleans right now, and um, a unit came up on stage to, to thank me and shake my hands, and I'm from Vietnam. And um, it, it's just it, it's just amazing because when you you know when I meet them, you know, you see these older guys. They look they're much older. They're out of shape. They're you know overweight, and you forget that there was a time when they were young and virile, and they were they were seeing intense you know intense combat. So. Some of them are more studs than we'll ever dream of being. Well, I mean, I, and I brought you, I, I spoke about you, you know, they asked me, you know, uh, they, one question that always comes up when I do the play is, you know, what, do, what have veterans said about, about, you know, the, about the play. And so I said, you know, I, one of the great things about the play is that it's allowed me to connect with people like you that I would have never in a million years dreamed of that I'd be connected with. And mm-hmm. it's been a real joy uh, being a voice for for you guys and sharing your stories and um, bringing main things to bring awareness to, to society of what veterans mm-hmm. go through when they come back. So, I guess that you know the first thing is how what advice would you give a vet coming back and trying to kind of assimilate back into normal life? I have been asked that question quite a few times. Um, the quick answer that I come up with is identity. Um, you know, I, I joke all the time. I like to tell jokes. That's, that's how I get some of my messages across is I use humor. So identity, um, when I was in the military, you know, I was a senior enlisted. Um, when I walked in a room, people knew who I was. You know, there was a certain level of respect. I had an identity. Um, but when I get out, who am I now? Like, you know, you got to reestablish your identity. Um, and I think getting out and being retired makes that even more difficult because you're not going into another profession. Um, you know, you become what they call permanent and total. So you're not working, you're just retired. Well, what do you do? You know, so you got to find a new identity. Um, And I remember the day I did that, I was sitting in Walter Reed and uh, this ref, people come in like left and right. You're like, who is this? Who is this? You don't know. I mean, they know what's going on. I I was clueless, but this lady comes in and she's like, check your bank account. Okay. Well, they give you a, a, it's called TSGLI. At the time I was called a limb salvage. I didn't have my leg amputated right away. I kept it for four years. Um, so I, I got a, a little lump sum check from the government because traumatic servicemen's group life insurance. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do with this? Well, you're going to be medically retired from the military. And I'm like, well, I did a bass tournament once. I'm going to buy a bass boat. So literally, I went from 100% Army to 100% bass fisherman. Um, 
And the famous words of Patrick Grady, who was a captain in the army, he says, I'm the most motivated loser ever <laughs> because I bought all the latest, greatest, you know, lures and stuff, but I had not a clue how to bass fish. But I was, you know, I'd be up there like coming into weigh-ins with six pounds and all excited. And then these guys would be coming in with 20 pound bags. I'm like, how'd you do that? Like, good job. You know, and then I, I'm blowing snot bubbles and kicking rocks the whole way home. Cause I'm like, how do they do that? But I just kept grinding at it. And now I'm the one cashing checks. So identity, I think, I think the first thing somebody would do when they got back is you got to establish an identity and you got to decide what you're going to do. Did that give you identity fishing? Absolutely. It's, it's like I will. And, you know, I got, I got it in my notes further down on some of your other questions. Um, in the summer, it works great. But in the winter in Wisconsin, it's very hard to bass fish when that hard stuff's on top of the water. Yeah. Um, so win winters are a, are a struggle for me. My wife sees it. So I try to, I resort to, world of tanks in the winter so what, you, and so what, do you, what do you do in the winter world of tanks <laughs> i'm sure you saw that on the documentary i play world of tanks it's a i don't remember game that, that oh, can, i think oh. when they showed that in the dock they did it they didn't show the i can't remember if they showed the game i was in the background they were showing maria cleaning oh yeah i don't remember i don't remember that but i do yeah. remember the game part you know that was something that in my research you know when i created the tv series i remember I, talk, I spoke when I was doing it, when I wrote the TV series, not to play, I spoke to a, I reached out to all my contacts who I've connected with to play. And I said, could I interview you? You know, cause I'm trying to write the story and um, video games is one of the things that a lot of guys talk to me about. Um, mm -hmm. I wasn't able to put it in there, but yeah, a lot of guys play a lot of video games. I remember that. I, I struggle really hard because it's so easy to just sit behind that computer and just play all day. Yeah. And you get nothing accomplished. And then at the end of the day, you're like, man, what have I done? today sucked. But I can't remember it. It was a, a Marine general or an Air Force general. There was a YouTube video out there. But he says, you know, make your bed every morning because you've already accomplished a goal. Yeah. And I try to live by that now. You know, I've, I've toned down. I still play video games. I play them quite a bit. But I get some work done. Like all morning, you know, we just sold our house. So we're getting ready to move. So I'm out packing up the garage and my wife knows me um she just gives me a honeydew list and i will just go right down that list and knock it out so i knocked out like four or five things this morning and now i feel like i did something today so i can sit down for an hour and play my game right right what's the misconception you think people have about one being a soldier and two being a vet and i, I, um, I, and I does it change being a vet and an amputee vet, or is, or is there a difference? Is there? Well, let me answer your first question first, yeah. and then because of my squirrel syndrome, you're going to have to sure. come back and reiterate sure. about the vet versus amputee thing. Um, but see, there I go. Um, what's the misconception is that when a civilian meets a veteran, they automatically assume that they were Johnny Rambo in the military. Um, and, it, and it's two-part. So when you meet another vet, some vets feel that they have to justify their job in the military. Um, the number one thing that like red flags me and my wife sees this all the time when I'm having conversations with civilians is they'll come up and say, oh, my son's special forces. And I'm like, 
okay, maybe he is, but he's probably just telling you that because he's trying to glorify his position in the military. Um, but people need to understand that, you know, you might be a cook in the military or you might be a pack clerk, you know, shuffling papers in the military or a chaplain's assistant or a funeral director. The army doesn't work without any one of those. Yeah, that was, a, that they're was needed. When I spoke to a vet, uh, I spoke to a guy named Jimmy Medina in California. Um, he was in the Air Force and, you know, he, he had some serious, he shared with me some serious PTSD issues in it. but he said going to what you're saying he says that it's, it's only about 10 or 15 percent of the of the military that actually sees combat mm -hmm. he says the, the rest of it is just there to support the combat and honestly that was that was a fear of mine like i was infantry and it'd been 17 years in the military till i went to combat like i don't know why i was like worried that i was gonna get out of the military without going to combat, like it felt like I was training for my job all these years and I never got to do it. But I think the army was protecting me because I was a single parent. Um, I, I, I don't know, but, and then, you know, I get the chance to go to combat and get my ass shot. Yes, <laughs> yes. Then, you, then, you saw, then, you, then you saw combat. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, shoot, I was good where I was, good where, where I was at. Um, so another another side story for you. I was a young E5 in the 25th Infantry Division in Hawaii. I was a team leader, and I met First Sergeant Gallagher. Um, First Sergeant Gallagher was the platoon sergeant um, here in Somalia, and he almost lost his hand. And he has two binders um, that he sat down one night while I was on CQ, and went through and you know in the infantry we joke a lot about there's only two MOS's MOS is your job in the military mm -hmm. there's only two MOS's in the military there's infantry and those that support the infantry and that was just a big ha ha joke but he's the first person that like opened my eyes he goes you know a PFC female medic that was in the out of AIT for three weeks saved my hand don't ever say that again and I'm like Whoa, that was a real eye opener. So that was my first, you know, two years in the army, two and a half years in the army that said, you know, there's more than just a combat unit. You yeah. know, we need the medics. A medic saved my life, Jared Kripe. I owe him my life. And I let him know that at least once a week now. I didn't talk to him for years. I was embarrassed. Because of your leg? Uh, I was just embarrassed because, you know, he saved my life. You know, it's it's that whole, they call it PTSD. I don't think it's a disorder. I think it's just a normal reaction. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I play that every day. Did I do the right thing? I play it through my head every day. I replay it. You know, my son was killed, so that kind of shadows over it. But I still play it over every day. And I keep coming back. Look, the guy I went out to try and save lived. So I would do the same thing again even though my medics saved both their lives. Yeah, you never, you know, I lost my eye when I was four. And you never really, and I've tried to share stories from when I've done um, uh, talks with vets. You know, actually there was a guy I remember, I was in a, a Thomas Edison State University giving a speech. And uh, there was a guy who got hit in the eye by shrapnel and he, he was gonna lose his eye. And I said, hey, you know, um, I know a lot of doctors and so you know if you ever want to reach out to me 
feel free to. And, um, you know, he was really hesitant. He was having a hard time facing what was coming down the pike. But I told him, you know, there's nothing you can't do. You know, um, mm-hmm. it's a misconception that you have that you think you're not going to be able to do something. But it's really, it's a false, miscon- it's a false misconception. I mean, you may not be an Air Force pilot just because they're not going to let you fly a plane. Um, right. But but other you know other than that, I think you're gonna you're gonna be able to do everything. And and I know you you fairly knew losing your leg. There's nothing you can't do. And I remember as a young kid, on. yeah, there, there really isn't. You know, you just you have to kind of. A lot of times we think that our limitations are on the outside, but they're really all on the inside. Well, you know, when you're fully able-bodied, you take a straight line to your objective. But yeah. when you lose a leg, you just kind of, you got to find a new path to that. Yeah, and, and, and you get creative, man. Like, you know, I'm an actor, so I always have to put myself on tape. And so, you know, I'm always doing all kinds of weird tricks with my face and, and, and turning myself to, you know, to create symmetry. And you get really good at it, man. You get really good at being mm-hmm. creative. And it goes to show you how, fa- you know, how how much potential we really have because your brain starts working in different ways. And um, so I, I just wanted to share that with you and, and just Absolutely. know that there's nothing that you can't do. Um, people always ask me, they always say, what do you think people should do? And I always say, I don't know what that answer is, but I think w- the reason why I do the play is I think America should just know the stories. I think that to me is important. And I think from there we can, you can decide what you want to do with it. But I think we have a responsibility and a and a and a duty to hear our veterans and their family stories. Um, I think that makes us better as a society, and that makes us better as a as a as a, as a nation to decide when we use that power again, which is the greatest force on earth, you know. And but I would ask you is like you know, what should we do? Like what should society? What should America do to to help veterans? I get really, really passionate about that subject. And I only speak for myself, not other veterans or anything like that. But um, I wrote down a couple of things. Uh, Duty. I mean, for me, it was my duty. It was no question. My great grandpa, and this is only as far back as I know that I have paperwork on my great grandpa, my grandpa, my dad, and myself. You know, it's, it's a. All served. called all served yeah all army um is that called lineage um but so for me it was no question like you know there's nine kids in my family blended family and my dad wanted one of us to join well i'm the youngest male so i'm it by default but i remember as a kid you know i was out playing war in the woods building forts you know rubber band guns all that all that crap but um so duty comes up you know what should america do i think we need patriotism. Um, and I don't want to get into the politics or race or anything, but I think, I think there's a false sense of freedom in America. Yeah, I, I think people, people just think it's there. Um, you know, you, you hear the interviews on TV. Well, it's my right. I'm an American. Really? What did you do to reinforce that? Are you just, exercising that right because somebody else did it you know with the whole oh somebody else will do it mentality no what did you do for your country didn't have to be today doesn't have to be tomorrow maybe it was yesterday 
but what did you do for your country? And it doesn't have to be in the military. Wow. You don't have to serve in the military to do your duty to your country. But what did you do? If you can't come up with an immediate answer, you need to take a step back and reevaluate your patriotism. I think too many Americans have not heard the word no. I think more Americans need to be told, no, you cannot do that because there's too many politicians out there mm -hmm. saying, I'm going to fight for that because that's what you want. Well, you know what? There needs to be a baseline standard of no. You can't go below that. Um, you know, there's all kinds of memes and jokes out there. And I, I laugh at them and I joke about them. And, you know, I'm on one side of the fence. Some people are on the other and that's fine. But um, you're asking me the questions. Um, so I'm going to give you my answer to answer to it. I and think right everybody, everybody needs to do their part. I think there needs to be more patriotism. Um, laws are there for a reason. Does stuff change? Absolutely. Um, but there needs to be that baseline standard. And it's easy for me to say that because that's how I was raised in the military for 20 years. You know, well, that's what the law says. This is where we're going as long as you don't fall below that. And, you know, there's trials where I would walk. I remember in Afghanistan, there was a thing I walked in and I saw my platoon doing some things. And I called the leadership over and I'm like, what regulation can you reference what you're doing? Can you reference that in a regulation? Well, no. Then why are you doing it? It's initiation. It's just... I said, you're going to prison for the rest of your life unless you can reference that in a regulation. <laughs> it's there for their safety, you know, and that's, it goes for general laws of the country. A lot of them aren't there to tell somebody no, they're there for a reason for the safety of the country. Um, and I just think if, if people aren't told no, it's just going to be this. Yeah, I don't know where. Chili pot of mess. I don't know where we lost patriotism in the country. It, it seems you know, mind boggling to me. I mean, the reason why I, I created the play is because I'm very patriotic and my father was very patriotic and he was an immigrant and he was an, an Argentinian Jew. And, you know, I, sh I shared the story last night and I almost shared uh, the place in a way is a love letter to my dad. And, you know, my dad was always very grateful to what America did during the second world war. And he, you know, he instilled patriotism in me and I just don't understand where where it's just it's you know where that's gone i don't understand why that's become such a political thing and i agree with you i think if we have more patriotism we would have more unity and um it's it's uh it it's really sad that it's gone i you know i teach my children patriotism really uh, very strongly and and my son is, he's learning it. You know, I don't have to tell him to take off his hat or put his hand over his chest when the, uh, when their national anthem plays. Um, we went through the World War II Museum. If you ever come to New Orleans, you should check out this museum down here. It's unbelievable. And, you know, we went through it and I explained to him and, and I explained to him why his grandfather was very grateful and this is why, and this is what instilled me and this is what gave me patriotism. This is why I created the play, you know, I kind of drew the whole connection for him. And one of the cool things about doing the play sometimes when I do it for, especially for younger kids is, you know, a lot of them are like, I've done it for a lot of colleges and I've had college kids go, I didn't know we were in that many wars. Yeah, I mean, they don't. 
you're, you're like, <laughs> fuck, man, what are you fucking learning? Like, how'd you not know? I mean, I'm not talking about the Spanish-American War. You know, I'm talking about like very well-known conflicts, you know, revolutions. Oh, so, even Veterans Day. Yeah, people what don't veteran, know. Not, don't, they don't know what Veterans Day is. They don't know why. Ask them what Armistice Day is. Do they know what that is? You know, forget that. It's the same day. <laughs> same day. Forget that. Yeah. November 11th. Um, um, I think I, it comes down to responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, um, I agree. Um, there's too much finger pointing going on. You know, the whole division. I mean, when I first went active duty in the military, I was stationed. I was actually General Shinseki's track driver, his M113 driver in the 1st Cavalry Division in 1994. Um, and if you know about him, he was a two-star. Then he lost his foot in Vietnam. He's got a wooden foot. But very, uh, very mean. He's very nice to me, but you could hear him around the corner cussing out my NCOs. But he was good about keeping it separate. Um, but uh, I tried out for LURS, which is long-range surveillance, and I was accepted into LURS. And my, one of my first team leaders was Sergeant Ricky Ayers from Texas. Um, he's out now. He's actually a police officer. Um, he hurt his knee on a jump. So he's a police officer somewhere in Texas. Um, probably the most important NCO ever that taught me the most. Um, and there's others. But one thing he taught me is, and you, you've heard this before, I'm sure, um, take responsibility for your actions. As a leader in the military, you're responsible for anything your soldiers do or fail to do. Um, and that's what I replay in my head every day about the day I got shot and with my son, Joey being killed. So, I mean, that would be the one thing I think society needs to do is take responsibility yeah. for their actions. For sure. I mean, society right now, I mean, it doesn't seem like anybody wants to take any responsibility for anything. Uh, finger point. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, it's, we're living in a very topsy turvy world right now. And, you know, I grew up in eighties in Houston, Texas, and uh, I couldn't in a million years guess where, where we would be right now. Um, like if you saw some, not that you would, but um, if you saw somebody down the street, you know, let's say he wasn't a military or a vet and you, you were going to grab him and, and say something to him, what would you say to him? Like, make sure you, before you leave, make sure you do what? don't feel sorry for us. Okay. Yeah. But if you don't feel I mean, sorry, I hear that a lot, but what, what else can you do? I mean, sometimes it feels like that's all they have, you know, like, thank you. For yeah. Your um, and I, and I put it into two, two categories. Right. Um, and I, and I actually wrote this down. I, uh, some people look at us like we're animals in a zoo. <laughs> You know, it's just like, you know, so I wear funny shirts like, what are you staring at, you two-legged freak? Or I still run better than the government. Or, you know, a handicap symbol that says I'm just in it for the parking. You know, so that that kind of gets people away from the leg, you know, because they see the leg and they wonder what happened to his leg. So I kind of, you know, make hu humor about it. But most civilians don't get military jokes. They don't see the humor <laughs> behind it. But I think they appreciate that I am joking about it, but I don't think they fully get it. But um, so I can, 
I think I'm to the point now when somebody comes up to me, you know, to thank me for my service, it's for two reasons. One, it's because there's guilt that they didn't do it in some capacity. And those are the people that come up and say, well, thanks for your service. I was going to join, but um, that category of people. And then there's other ones that come up and thank you. And they're like very sincere, like very like thankful. And they feel like they need to do something. Like I get a retirement paycheck. I don't make great money, but I make good money where I live a pretty normal life. But do you know that if I wear anything that says military and they see my leg, do you know how many breakfasts I get paid for in a week? But you've earned that though. You've earned well, I think that's I think that's that one category of people saying thank you. They feel like they need to do something. And it's a pay it forward mentality. Yeah. So I do that now. I created those two funds for that very reason. So now I try to do something nice every day um, for somebody. Like I remember my favorite thing to do when I was stationed at Fort Drum is we'd always go out for hibachi. If you go to hibachi with you, your wife, and a kid, it's over $100. Mm -hmm. Done. Well, when you see that private taking his wife out for their anniversary, and you see that he's an E2 because he's still in uniform because he didn't go home yet, and he's got his wife there, you can he tell can't by, afford you, to be. You can tell by the uniform what, what class they are? Oh, yeah. What rank they are? Yeah. Yep. They wear their rank. So when I see him and his wife out there, I'm like, either she's got a real good job or he's trying to do something nice for his wife that he can't afford. I'll pick up their tab every time and I won't let him know I did it. I'll do it on the way out. And just that whole pay it forward mentality. I just, well, what is, I but think what, it, but what does someone do if, and if you can't buy someone breakfast, but what does the average Joe do to pay it forward to, to show sincerity to show appreciation? I mean, that's, you know, I think that's the thing. Um, I think don't overdo it. I mean, there's people that overdo it. Yeah. But I think a normal person, I think the most meaningful thing is when I walk by somebody and they're like, that's all you need to do. I get it. Awesome, dude. And I don't need a thank you. I didn't do it so I could get thanked for the rest of my life. Yeah, you know, I no, just, I know, but, I know. You, you you don't do it for that reason. You do it for, for the genuine, the right reasons. Um, I think a lot of people feel. Um, I like, want to be normal. Right, right. Treat me like an everyday normal person. Does it bother you when people say thank you for your service? It depends on which category. Right. Yeah. So I guess yeah. what you're saying is depends how you say it. Yeah, it depends on how you come across. If you come across like guilty is what I would say. And and I maybe guilty is the wrong word because I don't think everybody has to be in the military. There's some people don't need to be in the military. Like, yeah, don't even just go, <laughs> you know, but there's some that are just full of excuses that need to shut up and do it. Um, just because I feel every able-bodied American that's able to should. I think it's the right thing to do um, in whatever capacity that they – there should be better testing because they go by GT score by what job you should get. But there's there's got to be a better way to figure out where you could serve better. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if this would fly, but I heard a current – I forgot his name. I have it in my notes, but he was a 
I believe he was a colonel, um, a retired colonel, or he was really high up. And I was invited to a talk and he was speaking. He said that he believed that America needed to expand the military to incorporate more of its talent. And he's, he was basically under the assumption, he says, if you had like 5% of America serving, and if you had a draft, you would have a military better than you can even imagine because you would have people who are, you know, going and becoming doctors will be going into the military, lawyers, bankers, you would have very bright minds joining the military. And he says that would make the military more powerful and would actually will stabilize more because I guess his, his belief was more peace through strength. And um, he said, you know, would create unity. It, you know, he even went on to say that you basically now, what you kind of have is what you had in the civil wars. You kind of have people, you know, in the civil war, if you had money, you could pay someone to go fight for you. And he says, in, in many ways, it's kind of what you have right now because you don't have a draft. You're, you're basically, people are opting out of service. Because they I would have- agree with him and I would disagree with him. How would you agree? And the, the first thing that pops into my head would be span of control. So if you were to do that, it would have to be uniform across the board, training, that kind of thing. Um, Because I, as a human, can only effectively control three to five people. So in like a normal military platoon, you have the platoon sergeant and the platoon leader, an officer and an NCO. The platoon leader is in charge of the platoon. He gives out all the orders. The platoon sergeant, he's the whipcracker. He makes sure all those orders are followed and soldiers have their beans and their bullets. Underneath the platoon sergeant and the PL are four squad leaders. Each one of those squad leaders has eight guys underneath them for a nine-man squad. That squad leader is in charge of the squad, but he has two sergeants, which are team leaders. And those team leaders are in charge of two to three men. So it's span of control, you know, shit rolls downhill. So if you were to expand this army, um, for instance, look at Canada. I like to use Canada. Canada doesn't have a very large army though, right? I don't think so. But I'm, I'm willing to bet the medical knowledge of a Canadian infantryman trumps most of any of our infantrymen. Why is that? They have less people, so they have higher quality training, uh, in my opinion, from what I've seen working with the Canadians. Yeah, but so if we were to expand our army bigger, I think your quality of expertise goes down. You say bringing in doctors, bankers, lawyers. We had good. that after 9-11. I, had, I was a drill sergeant during 9-11. I had lawyers come in. Some were good. Most were not because they're entitled yeah, well, I think he meant is pulling from a pool before they become lawyers, but have the men- oh, gotcha. I understand pulling yep. from the pool, starting start pulling from a much larger pool, talented pool. Before you know, you don't want a lawyer once he becomes a lawyer. You want the lawyer. You want the brain power of the guy who's going to become a lawyer. Join the military, right? I misunderstood you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I agree with that. I but you have to have the the knowledge yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think. You know, um, I think I think we could provide the knowledge. I mean, shoot, man, it would, you know, 
we got a buggy on the moon taking selfies right now. Um, I mean, on the Mar- not on the moon. I'm sorry, on Mars. So mm-hmm. you know, I think we can figure it out. But um, and that's I don't know. You know, the draft is such a um, such a political word because of Vietnam. That you know, the word the moment you bring up draft, people are going to go into a frenzy about you know you know war you know whatever their opinions are about combat or war you know war mongering right. such a political word i don't know how you would ever get it passed through congress or or the senate but probably wouldn't um how do we help how do we help guys who are dealing with um with pts what can what can we do more you know that's a double-edged sword i guess um you know i hear all the time from people that Oh, my grandpa served, but he doesn't talk about it much. Um, I've heard, I mean, I've met, I've met those guys. You got to get them out. Um, me, I, I think I self-identified early. I talk about it as much as I can. Why? Yeah. I didn't like walking in the military with a 120 pound rucksack on my back. So I don't need all those memories and all those thoughts resting on, on my back. It was heavy. It hurt. You're an so I talk about it and I feel like I can set it aside. Um, do you think so, doing the documentary and before the documentary, they, I saw that um, the, the previous, what, what led into the documentary um, that you, mm-hmm. you shared with me. Um, A year at war. The year of war. I saw all of that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and do you think because you were kind of being exposed to talk, you know, that that kind of, preempted you to be more open and be able to share your story or do you think that was already you you're already going to share your story because I like talk to a lot of vets and I've talked to a lot of vets yeah um, honestly I think it was Joey I'm, that changed me okay well I mean that would have changed yeah that would have definitely changed why but why Joey though I mean I would imagine that would have taken you even further down the other direction um yes uh, and I have my wife to thank for that. Um, because this will be a podcast, just for our listeners who don't know, um, why don't you just, if you're okay with it, share what happened to your son, Joey. Okay. Um, well, in 2010, I got shot three times trying to save an Afghan policeman. My medic saved both of us. 2014, I got my leg amputated because I couldn't take it anymore. I could only walk 15, 20 minutes a day, and I wanted more freedom. Um, so I did an elective amputation. 2015, I met, I married my now current wife, Maria. And in I of 2015, my 12, my 12 year old son, Joey, it's our son, but my biological son, um, asked if he could run to the neighbor's house to get his iPad that he left. Um, and he was riding his bike, crossing the road and, a 74 year old man hit him at 50 miles an hour. Um, eight hours later, we took him off life support. He was brain dead. Um, and that was probably the darkest time of my life. Um, my leg was not an issue anymore. It was a mute point for a number of years. Um, but it changed me a lot. Um, I felt like I needed to defend my son's honor. I bought a lot of guns. I bought a lot of ammo. I learned how to use Google Earth very well. Um, and I was gonna do something that would not bring Joey back and would not make anything better. And luckily I saw that before it was too late. 
Um, I did meet the guy that hit my son a year later at a DMV hearing. And I walked up to him and I said, uh, in front of my lawyer, and I said, just tell me you screwed up and I'll forgive you right now. And he looked me dead in the eyes and he said, I didn't do anything wrong. So I told him, I hope he lives forever. Did he really nightmares? That? Yes, he did. He said, he, he's sorry my son was killed, but he didn't do anything wrong. Um, in the police report, and it's not going to change anything. I, I stopped playing the blame game. Um, but in the police report, it has the driver at 0% at fault and Joey at 100% at fault. My opinion on that, a 12-year-old's only responsibility is what he's going to eat next. Yeah, um, I would agree with did that. Did Joey pick the wrong place to cross the road? Yes. Did he deserve to die? No. Uh, the guy's brake line's blue. He was at the bottom of a hill. You can see it on the documentary. Yeah. The driver, there's no skid marks. He never hit the guardrail. And a lot of people don't know the inside of the story, so I will tell you because it's not on the documentary. He hit Joey on the oncoming side as Joey was crossing the road, going to the oncoming side. So he traversed with Joey across the road. He hit him, launched him about 10 to 12 feet forward, hit him again. That's when Joey and the bike got caught underneath the truck. He drug him 125 feet up the hill. Joey came off. His shoes were 100 feet apart. He continued to drive a quarter of a mile up the hill and down the road, claiming he needed to get cell service to call 911, pulled into our neighbor's driveway. When he backed up, the bike came off. He never once went down by Joey to check on him if he was okay. Thankfully, there was a, a lady there that saw him laying in the road and stopped traffic. Um, but the guy parked at the top of the hill and never once came down by Joey to check on him. I'm so sorry. For so you. there's a lot of, there's a lot of anger and hate and all that. Um, and you feel like that allowed you to open up easier. Um, it allowed me to open up because my wife, and this is why I said I have my wife to think my wife and I, you know, we went and talked to the medium. Call us crazy. Um, just don't piss her off. Um, <laughs> she's Puerto Rican. Only husbands can do that. She she gets out the onion chopper. I run. Um, she can tell you that story. But um, we sat down one day and we just said, look, um, we had somebody send us pictures of the accident site. And we just said, you know what? That's not what we want to see. We don't want to see tragedy. We want to see, we are going to only focus on positive shutting out anything negative and we are going to focus on how joey lived and not how he died um so i think at that point um i started to you know i was very the book says the book says the book says you know straight line there is no left or right it's you're doing it if I say do it, this is why you're doing it, period. You're in um, the military, man. I mean, you've been in the military yeah. for 20 years. That's what have conditioned you. And then a year and a half after he was killed, um, the unthinkable happened. Um, we were blessed with Jackson. So Jackson's now three. Um, almost he'll be four in February. Um, but I think we call him our blessing child because Jackson brought me and Maria out of a very dark hole. Um, I had purpose again. 
um, I don't know, he puts a smile on my face and I'm like, what the hell am I doing having a kid at 42 years old, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. And the reason I say that, I'm so much more relaxed now. You know, I, Isaac's out of the military now and he's in the other room. He's living with us for a while until he figures out what he's gonna do. But he looks at me every day like, wow, if I would have did that when I was his age. Because <laughs> Joey, Joey tells me, if you're gonna be angry with me, I'm going to be angry with you. And to me, I sit back. I'm like, well, he's got a point. Maybe I shouldn't yell so much, you know? <laughs> yeah. But so what, I think. But it's, um, God bless you, man. God bless him. Um, I'm glad you have Jackson. That's a great name, by the way. Well, we almost named my, I almost named my son Jackson. Um, we did it after Sons of Anarchy. It's J-A-X-O-N. Okay. Uh, <laughs> No reason. We just liked it. <laughs> so the guys who can't speak like openly like you can, you know, what, I mean, what should we do to, I mean, I think the number one thing, the reason why I think the play has become so successful for is because it does give vets a voice who normally couldn't speak. It's cathartic. I mean, the one word that has been shared with me by so many guys of the military, combat vets, families, gold star, blue stars. It's just, this is a very cathartic play. Um, it, um, it's a very raw play, but it's a very cathartic play and it gives us a voice and allows us to talk. And, mm-hmm. and I've always said, talking is the number one thing, but how do you get someone to talk? Okay, I get them in the play, you can maybe talk. You know, you see the play, you talk either in, in the Q&A afterwards or you talk on the way back home. You know, you're talking to someone, you talk to a wife, but how do you get someone who's not at the play to talk? So there's a ton of organizations out there. I'm wearing the hat of one right now. I can't see um, what, what did you say it out loud. It's Wounded Warrior, Wounded Warriors in Action, not to be confused with Wounded Warrior Project. Wounded but Warriors. Lieutenant Colonel John McDaniel, who's from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, started this and it's actually based in Apollo Beach, Florida, down by Miami. Um, And he was in Ranger Battalion. Um, He started this, he caters to Purple Heart recipients. So in order to use their services, you know, he refined it to a smaller group. And I like it. And this is what works for me. There's a hundred organizations out there. Um, But what I like about it is everybody that goes to those events was wounded in combat. So we have a certain likeness that brings us together. It's not a testosterone big, you know what contest. Right. It's a bunch of guys getting together um, and it's outdoors, getting them outdoors, fishing, hunting, and it's world-class stuff. I mean, I got a hundred stories I could tell you, but through wounded warriors in action, I caught my biggest personal best record of a largemouth bass ever. I went fishing in Rodman Reservoir, Florida, and I caught a 10-pound, two-ounce largemouth. No, That's got, a dream for anybody. I've got a friend from Texas named Craig, and he would he would dig that. <laughs> He's a big yeah. fisherman. <laughs> he would completely dig that. But I also got to meet Edwin Evers, who's a Bassmaster Classic champion, Major League Fishing champion, Red Crest champion. He is like the Aaron Rodgers of the bass fishing world. Um, and he's just my idol and we are now pretty good friends. I can text him any time of the day and he'll text me back. Um, I've been fishing with him three or four times now. I'm starting to lose count, but if I called him up and said, Edwin, I need this, he'd get it for me. 
but I, I, I don't. Sometimes stuff just shows up on my door. But because I went to that Wounded Warriors in Action, I'm starting to talk to guys. And I think it, it comes down to purpose, identity, but you got to get them doing something they love. Some people don't know what that is. Some people already know, but they were afraid. Yeah. Um, like motorcycles or fixing cars or fishing or hunting. I think you got to force feed some of these guys to get them into a comfort zone that they like to do. And then they, they'll gonna, blossom like a flower. I'm going to send you what you just said in a transcript, because I think that is the basis of your, your speech, man. What you just said, purpose, identity, and um, doing something what they love. I think you sharing that from your experiences as a father, as a man, and as a combat vet um, will be very well uh, received by other people. I think you should definitely, you should write that down and I'll send it to you, but I think I'm writing purpose, value, and doing something you love. I think a lot of veterans could hear that. Um, um, and I think the older guys who didn't hear that when they came back from NAM or or Korea. Now, the one thing you know, that I have going on that, sorry, but the one thing going on that, one thing that I learned to tell Vietnam guys is the Vietnam vets is, and a Vietnam veteran taught me this. He says, um, welcome home. And um, he taught me that years ago. He says, you know, if you tell a Vietnam vet, welcome home, it means a lot to them because they didn't get that when they came back. Yeah. And um, I, I always... I, I, I always say, I said it last night, I, I always have everybody stand up who's a veteran. And I say, you know, any military families, any vets or military in the, fam, in, the, in the house, please stand up so we can, we can appreciate you. And we do that. And then I always tell the Vietnam vets, you know, welcome home, guys. Welcome home. So that is. I always tell the Vietnam vets, thank you for what they sacrificed, because now I, I have what I call the gold card. I can walk in the VA and say, I want this and I get it period. Well, yeah. Because no, they, they didn't, they didn't get it. No, absolutely. You know, doing something you love is so important because it, it really just, it's just, it, it's, it's therapeutic, cathartic. It really allows you to be, you know, it's hard to get up in the morning when you're doing something you can't stand. And when you're getting yeah. up in the morning, when you're motivated, when you get up in the morning and you're excited about something, it's much easier to keep working at it. You know, it's like acting. I always tell people, you know, don't get into acting because you think you're going to be famous because you're going to run out of energy. You're going to run out of energy. And Steve Jobs said it best. You know, you have to be insane to, to do it. You know, to be you have to be insane to do something you really love because it's really freaking hard. Um, yeah. and, and most normal people quit. You know, they, they're like, this is stupid. I'm not doing this. You know, you, know, you got to do something you love. So, you know, I kind of appeased my wife. We we went on an Alaskan cruise and she's like, oh, we got to go zip lining. And I'm looking at her like she's got three heads because yeah. right, my okay. title is airborne ranger qualified. Is that what you were? Out of an air- I was ranger qualified. I graduated ranger school in 1999. That's badass, um, man. I, I, do a, I do a piece in my play about being a ranger and I say it's, if anybody knows anything about the Ranger tab, it's a pretty covered tab to have. Well, there's there's some argument there. So the I'm the sure. young 
testosterone laden rangers from ranger battalion so you could have a psc in ranger battalion that thinks he's more of a ranger than me with my ranger tab even though he doesn't have his ranger tab yet because he hasn't gone to school because there's ranger qualified and then there's ranger that's in ranger battalion i have respect for both so now when somebody says oh you're a ranger i make it very clear i was never in ranger battalion i graduated from ranger school i have a ranger tab so there's no i'm not claiming anything we're, we're arguing between Who's better, Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers? I think what you've done is pretty remarkable being a Ranger. And everything, everything. Aaron uh, Rodgers is clearly better because he's still playing at that caliber. Yeah, he's. I, I think so. <laughs> he's, got a, he's got a sweet arm, man. He's, he can. I'm jealous of Brady, though. He's accomplished some things. I, just, I don't like him out of pure jealousy just because well, I don't like the guy. It's really interesting because you're watching him turning around an organization in Tampa. And um, they're going to be... Mm. They don't look like their turnaround like yesterday. Yeah, I didn't. Watch, I didn't watch. I was performing yesterday. Did, did they lose yesterday? Wait a second. I can't check them on my phone. What they played mean? the New Orleans Saints. Oh, I didn't know. I mean, I was at. I was on stage all day yesterday, so I don't know what. They oh, did. I I can't check right now because I'll oh. lose the Zoom conference. It's okay. Um, but that's really important, man. I mean, I think what you said there's a big key. Um, I got to tell you a story. Yeah, go oh. for it. Have you ever seen how big the trees are in Alaska? The big redwoods? No. I, They're I, gigantic. I've seen Hundreds redwoods. of feet. Yeah, I've seen redwoods. So we get on this caterpillar-like truck, and we go up this freaking mountain, and we start getting into gear for zipline, and she's like, oh, aren't you excited? And I'm like, oh, just aesthetic. Like, <laughs> no, no. So big, bad Airborne Ranger Brian if I get on a ladder to change a light bulb in this kitchen, I am shaking. Like, I do not like heights. I'm scared to death of heights. All my jumps when I was in the military, all 36 jumps that I got were night jumps. As soon as I came out of the aircraft, my eyes were closed. Like, <laughs> Why'd you choose? I mean, if you're scared of heights, why'd you choose to become a, uh, uh, someone who jumps out of planes? Can't, can't you choose something else? challenge i guess i didn't like jumping out of airplanes i did it once you're once you're out of the aircraft it's not so bad it's kind of cool you're like oh wow you know but no i watched that freaking video the guys jumping out of airplanes getting muddy thought it was really cool little did i know cool. that every time i get that uniform muddy i gotta go buy a new one because it's stained while mr joe snuffy over there driving the truck that's getting the same paycheck is wearing the same uniform for two years so I'm a little military, jealous of the soft skills. The military doesn't give you a new, uh, new uniform? You get a clothing allowance every year, but do you think we spend it on uniforms? <laughs> we spend it at the class six. <laughs> that's the beer hall. That's the alcohol story, yep. Yeah. That's the beer story. But, um, but you know, I, I, I went ziplining because it made my wife happy. Well, that's important. So, there's some sacrifice there, but, and the caveat to that was my wife knows do not interfere with my fishing. She knows that in the summer I am up at four 30 in the morning and I am fishing until three or four in the afternoon every day. And she does not mess with that one bit. She knows, I call it, that's my sanity. That's my Zen. That's and true. she knows that if, if I get to go fishing, I'm a happier person when I get home. I'm so glad you found that. And that's a really important thing. What keeps you up at night? Um, 
you know, as a vet, as, as an American, maybe more as an American, what keeps you up at night? Thoughts and responsibility. That we're losing it? So, no, um, I have a racing mind. So, um, I, I joke for America, I joke about it all the time that when I was in the military, it didn't matter who I voted for for president because whoever screws it up, they're just going to send the military in to fix it. Um, but I, re I really, I try not to watch the news now just because you don't know what's real, what's false, and it just raises my blood pressure. Um, and it doesn't matter what station. So I'm just like, you know what? I only know what I know. I'm going to stay in my little circle of what I know and not fake like I know something I don't. Um, and that's what I, that's another message I would put forth. You know, don't believe everything you see and hear. Like you got to make those assumptions for yourself, but there's too many people going, oh, I read it here. So it must be true. Let me forward it. But um, so I, I stay away from news on purpose because that'll just get me boiling. I, would um, I mean, you have a very different perspective on the news, especially when you see um, um, international affairs. That well, you know, a prime example, a prime example when we were in Afghanistan, what do you hear? What have you seen on the news about Afghanistan? You didn't see 10th Mountain Battalion or 10th Mountain Division, 187 Infantry Battalion. You know, we're, we got rifles and we're a bunch of killers, right? Maybe a firefight a week. Maybe. What were we doing the other five and six days a week? We were meeting with local elders and teaching them how to put gunny sacks over their melons to keep the fruit flies out to ruin the circle of life for the fruit flies so they could have better melons. We were getting contracts for a well so they could have clean water so they didn't have to go into the river to get water. We were getting culverts built so they could actually drive their little three-wheeled cars all over the place. You know, you'll never see that on the news. You'll never see a picture yeah. of the Afghan schoolhouse where the kids were writing on bark because they didn't have notebook paper. So us getting a hold of the Red Cross and they were sending notebooks and soccer balls over. So you would want the nation to know those stories. Yeah, but you'll never see it on the news. Yeah, well, I mean, never. that's the problem. And it's like the, the whole thing with the police right now. You know, I mean, you have probably over a million interactions every day that go without a problem. Then you have one yep. bad one and it goes freaking viral. But, you know, that's- But what, that's going what, back to your question, what, yeah. what keeps Brian up? Yeah. Um, just thoughts and responsibility. I, I wrote it down. Just the whole, you know, taking responsibility of everything. You know, I think about the day I got shot. Should I have done it different? Could I have done it different? Did I do the wrong thing? Did I do the right thing? And then with Joey, you know, I said it was okay for him to go get his iPad. Could I have prevented it? You know, I offered him a ride, but he said, no, should I have made him take a ride? You know, every night that's what keeps me up. And, you know, my wife knows if I'm up more than 30, 45 minutes in bed, I'm going down to play my game, not because I want to play my game, because I want to stop thinking. Yeah. So now what I've been doing is when I go to bed, I literally tell myself, stop thinking, go to bed. And I just say it over and over and over. And next thing you know, I fall asleep. Well, that's an important one, man. Um, Thoughts and responsibilities. Yeah, I think I think more of us could use a little bit more responsibility. Um, and I, I guess that would go with you know what we want 
what you got, what you would want the nation to understand about you and our, and our freedoms. I mean, now I, I refer to myself a lot as I used to could, because, you know, I was trained in all these things and now I either can't or not in the capacity to do those things anymore. So what do you want now? Normalcy. Normalcy. I just want to be a normal person. You know, I always tell everybody, Hey, it's Brian, the short, fat, one-legged guy. You know, you look like, how you, I lost, you look like you've lost weight, man. I have. I'm down a whopping 15 pounds. Yeah, you um, look like you've lost just, weight. From what you know, I saw, I've tried to do the keto, and I've tried to do all those things, but I'm just, I'm learning slowly that just don't eat as much and stay busy. Yeah, you got to move your body. You know, you should. I don't know if you had a chance to look up that guy, JL um, Sanchez, but. Um, um, he's a one-legged amputee, and uh, I mean, it'll blow your mind what that dude does. Goes back. I am to the king of procrastination. Yeah, well, you should look at him, and it goes back to what I said. Just there really isn't anything you can't do. I mean, I mean, jogging, running, uh, 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 working out. I mean, there's just nothing. It's and it's definitely Check something. This I, out. Oh yeah, you just got a new one, right? That looks this like, is like that's the badass that, one. That is a brand new design by Greg Davidson in in Puyallup, uh, Washington. I think that's the design um, that that guy from Australia was the runner was using, wasn't it? Um, yes and no. He was using a blade. Yeah. But this is what they called a modified blade, so it actually has a foot on it. That's why it's got a shoe on it. But <laughs> by far the most comfortable leg that I've ever had made. That's awesome. Um, and it doesn't hurt to walk anymore. So I'm like, I told my wife, I said, this weekend we're going hiking. And she looks at me like, what? You want to go what? I'm like, I want to go hiking. Like I'm going hiking. And then he also made me a fishing leg. Oh, that's all. What, what's the difference? What do you need a different one? Uh, um, basically it's, it's, it's a walking leg with no shoe yeah. so that, when I go fishing, I can, I can get it wet. Here it is. I don't know if you can see it's got bike tire tread. <laughs> so you don't, Oh, I, I get it. Right. So, so you won't, so you don't slip on rocks and shit. Yeah. And it doesn't have a shoe so I can get it wet because if I go fishing with the leg I'm wearing right now and it gets wet, you know, you, I don't take my shoes off when I get home and that tends shit. to get a little, all the, all the little technicalities that you don't think about man <laughs> yeah well you know uh combat wounded vets they say we get the gold card we're, we're authorized up to um three legs so we can have a primary leg a backup primary leg and then a specialty leg do you think you know do you think the va is good now do you think the va needs to keep Anything needs to change with the VA? I mean, the one thing I've learned would, talking to vets is that the VA probably where you're at is a very different experience than the VA in New York City. Um, I actually went to, I was part of the Syracuse, New York VA and the Milwaukee VA were the two big hubs. Um, they're very similar. Syracuse VA has a much nicer facility but I would say Milwaukee, I, I'd say the, the professionalism of the doctors is the same. And I think it's very high. Um, I think where the VA is really doing well is the community outsourcing. 
Like if they can't get you in right away, you can go see a civilian. And I think now you can ask for a civilian for any of it. And and that wasn't but, the, that wasn't the case before. No, it was a, took an act of Congress to get a civilian for anything. Dental, um, I think is, and this is my personal opinion, is absolutely horrible. Here in Green Bay, we have a $3 million uh, VA clinic, and they have a dental clinic that I can go in, and I will get an intern to work on my teeth. And I have 13 crowns and they break constantly. I currently have two crowns that are not in and I am not going to the so VA can, for my dental. You can't go, you would think you should be able to just to go to a normal dentist and like insurance just have to be. Now able. I can. Oh, now you can. You couldn't before. So I have requested a, I wanted the resident dentist as my dentist. So that's been approved. I no longer will get you know, this 22 year old dental intern, granted, they got to learn somewhere. Why am I the guinea pig? You know, I didn't, I don't want to be a guinea pig. I don't want a trainee. Um, but now I can go see a civilian if I want. So it's not bad. What the bad side of the VA is yeah. administration. Too much. Getting, getting the appointment, getting through to talk to somebody about the appointment right now I'm selling my house I cannot go buy I cannot get financed for a new boat right now I cannot get financed for a new house because I have a collection account on my credit report and it's a VA emergency room claim that the VA billed wrong it's been paid they paid it it's not off my credit report yet so I would but it took a Took a year and a half of me constantly calling, emailing. I have wasted so much time fixing somebody else's mistake. Yeah, that's frustrating, it's, man. The administration side of the VA, I think, is horrible. And it's not the people, it's the system. There's people in that administration that are yeah. very good at what they do, but it's the way it works. Like, I can't go to the VA and say, hey, I want this, because then it's got to go to the approving authority. It's got to go through this. It's got to go through that. It's just a nightmare. And then you go to the VA. I would tell any vet that goes to the VA. How, how do you fix that? Because I've had a complete had model change, in my opinion. I mean, I only know what I know. I only know what I see. So I don't know how to fix an administration. I just know it's not working. Um, but I think a model change, like which one does work, let's model that. You know, but like one thing I would tell vets is like when you go to the VA to a major VA facility, get off the first floor. Yeah. Because when you walk in the front doors of any VA, there's a lounge area and there's every disgruntled, pissed off old veteran in there that's telling you how bad their life is. And I, I feel bad for them, but I avoid them. Yeah, you have to. You have to. If you don't add value to my life, you're not in my life. You know, I, I tell actors all the time, do not talk to an actor about what's how how bad their career is going because you're going to hear the woes and everyone has got a woe story and, you know, the business is bad and it's after me and, and there's no jobs and all this. And I'm like, you're just going to drop, you're going to throw yourself over a bridge, man. He says, you know, you just do gotta your research and if something's coming to you, go get it. Yeah. Don't expect for somebody to come and give it to you. No. The first floor of the VA, they're all waiting for their handout. It's like, dude, and it's after your train. And then that's true on every VA. It's always the first floor. 
Yeah. <laughs> Syracuse and Milwaukee. I stay away from the first floor. It's horrible. Good advice, dude. That's a quote, man. The, the guy, this guy comes up to me. He's just unkept, doesn't shower, you know, and I feel sorry for him and, 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 and I don't. Yeah. Um, because I'm same as you, dude. He goes, take a good look. This is what retirement looks like. Hey, motherfucker. I've been yeah. retired seven years. Yeah. Like, what yeah, are you yeah. talking about? Like, you're in charge of your own destiny, dude. Go fix it. Yeah. No, that that's not. Oh, I get mad. I'm sure you do, man. I'm sure you get really. You know, they're like, oh, um, we need to go help so-and-so. He's in a bad. Yes, everybody has struggles, and I've been bailed out before, and I've bailed people out before. But yeah. don't play the woe is me card. I hate that. Well, you know. If you need it, help, by all means, ask. Don't whine and go, yeah. oh, you need to help me. No one wants to see pity on stage and no one wants to see pity in life. And, and it's mm -hmm. so true. And you want to stay away from pity because it doesn't do anybody any good. Um, it's very dangerous. Anybody else been really inspirational to you and helpful to you since you've been back? I have a couple friends that, you know, now that I've reconnected with Jared Kripe, my yeah. medic that saved my life, I think he's helped a lot. You, um, do you still talk to your unit? The guys you serve with, sorry. Not really, no. no. Not a lot of them. Some of them have reached out. I've reached out to some of them. Um, well, the unit, the platoon I took over, I took over mid-tour. So I was a heavy weapons platoon sergeant. I had 18 misfits, and I call them misfits because when I got to Fort Drum, that platoon was just created, and they said, give me three or four soldiers from each platoon to create this fourth platoon, and they weren't exactly going to give me, you know, their stars. Right. So I called them the band of misfits and they were probably the best 18 soldiers I've ever had in my life. Cause you know, we're just a bunch of misfits and, but we were close and tight. And I, I loved Delta company fourth platoon. They were awesome. Um, but mid tour, I was told I was taking over the scout platoon because I had a ranger tab and, uh, it was just a, it was a mess. There was, um, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but it wasn't the uh, it wasn't the best situation to be in, um, especially in the middle of a deployment. Um, what do you so feel? I, I'm I'm close with some of them, most of them. Um, what do you feel about the pulling out of Afghanistan right now? I just you know I had an elder in Afghanistan tell me what would happen when we pulled out. Same thing that happened when the Soviets pulled out. He said, put your machine gun there, not there, because they're going to attack from here. And oh, by the way, when you leave in three or four days, I'll support you until then. But when you leave, I'm going to have to support them or they're going to kill me. Yeah. So when we left, I tried giving them 50 of their money, or I tried giving them Afghan money. Um, and it was $50 worth of our money out of my own pocket, just because, you know, I was in the house for five days. And he's like, Nay, 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 nay. That was enough money. That was more money than he made in an entire year. <laughs> and he refused to take it because he said that if they came and searched his house and, they found, and found that, he was dead because he knew that they know where it came from. So they just live such a simple life that they're just surviving and they're going to go back to surviving. Unless, you know, if we could teach them sanitation and plumbing, oh my God, that country would be gorgeous.
Yeah. But when, you know, I know why they wear man dresses. They just walk down the middle of the street and do, do their business and move on. Um, but it could be, it's, it's a very nomadic country. Um, but, you know, we've been there, you know, I came out of the North Tower during 9-11. And so I don't know if my son will serve or not, you know, but I definitely don't want him going to Afghanistan in some, you know, conflict that happened 30 years ago. You know, it seems kind of crazy how long we've been over there. We've been there for so long, you know, that at some point. At one point, they need to take care of themselves. Yeah. Like our mission, I was part of Obama's surge. Um, Our mission was to train the Afghan police to take charge of their own area. Um, But you can't just say, okay, we're leaving. I mean, Good question, but you you ever tried to get an Afghan to do a jumping jet? The education isn't there. No. So it's it's literally it's it's I think it's uh, more than we could do. Um, um, I don't know. And there's so much corruption over there. I had so many police chiefs go, "You give me a bottle of whiskey, I'll tell you where all the Taliban commanders are." And I'm like, "You're you you can't." Oh yes, we can. It's okay. It's okay. You know, and it's just like, wow, <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. I'm sure I can trust, I'm sure I can, tr- I can trust your intel. Yeah. I'm sure, it was, it's, it's, I'm sure it's good intel. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, I don't know. I, don't know. I, I mean, I don't know what that answer is. I don't know. And I'm sure you have a very different response to it. But I just, at some point, I, I mean, I've had conversations with other guys, um, guys, you know, from Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, uh, yeah. I'm just like, you know. I mean, at some point we have to come home, don't we? I mean, at some point we have, I mean, yeah. you know, we got to come People home. with a lot more authority and pay than I get are going to make that decision. Yeah, no, and they're trying to make <laughs> Unfortunately or fortunately, however you want to look at it. And I've heard, and I, I've heard, and I understand that argument, what you're saying, you know, um, I understand that yeah. argument. Um, and, and that's, that's a very, that's a, that's a fair argument. You know, I, you know, <sighs> As a nation, we just we spend so much money training you guys to go over there, and um, which I'm fine, completely fine with. I just think we also need to spend the same amount of money f- for you guys coming back home, um, and and uh, I wish the nation would do more of that as well. Yes, for those that need it and want it, not yeah. for those that want it for free. Yeah, no, but you know, but. So, you know, you can't punish 90% because 10% are going to take advantage of the system, right? Yeah, there's you know? just a lot taking advantage. I think it ruins the model of what it's intended for. Um, I know, I know of a couple service members right now that were, that are injured from non-combat related stuff and have service dogs. Now, am I questioning whether they need the service dog or not? No. But what's society's perception of them with the service dog? That they needed it from something in combat. So if you had a magic wand, what would you do, Brian? Like if you, if you could snap your fingers and say, I want, this is going to be like this and this is going to be like this, what would you do? Just people be honest with themselves. Be who yeah. you are. Don't, don't be somebody you're not. Right. Be who you are. Be honest to yourself. So I, I've been I've been talking to some female vets because I'm trying to incorporate 
one question I always get, I even got it last night. Um, I get always, you know, how come you don't have, I do men, women, and children in my play, but I, I don't, I don't do a female combat vet. And the main reason why is because when I created the play, you know, female stories weren't really being talked about, even though America has a long history of females fighting in every single conflict, even yep, going, yep. going back to the revolution. Um, even the Russians. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so anyway, I've been interviewing some, some female uh, vets and um, yeah, they all say, they, I mean, some of them are pretty badass. I mean, I, I, you know, they're, they're very, they're, they're very interesting. They're very, you know, they all, the one common theme with them is they, they feel like they're not deserving, which is really interesting. All of them. I talked to a, uh, I think a Colonel, a bronze star, I think bronze star or purple heart. I can't remember. Um, talked to Allison Jaslow. Um, it was just really interesting hearing the same common theme that they all feel like they're not deserving, you know, but um, if, uh, if they don't change the standard and they can do it, I'm all for it. Yeah, and that's what I, that's why I bring them up because they all said what they don't want. They if if a guy's got to do twenty five push ups, a girl's got to do twenty five push ups. If a guy's got to do twenty five pull ups, the girl's got to do twenty five pull ups. They don't want the standards changed. They they want to be able to meet the same men's standards. Um, mm -hmm. So um, yeah, well, Whitney I'm, White was one of my cadets. She could out PT anybody in our ROTC battalion. And now. Um, Dylan, I think she's out now, but one last question is, is there anything that I didn't touch upon that I didn't say that you would, you, you would want to share? Just, I mean, we touched on it a little bit. I mean, the United States was created from a war. I don't think war is going away. I don't think freedom is free. I think, you know, just too many Americans are thinking, oh, he'll do it. Yeah. You know, like just, if more Americans would do their part and what that part is, I can't answer that. It does not have to be the military, but, but you know, what you, is, you bring up what is freedom to me? A, a strong military, a strong military, but you bring up a good point. Cause I always wonder, and I don't know, but I always wonder this, like, how is war going to change in the modern world? You know, I mean, you know, going through the world war II museum, you know, those days are long gone. You know, it already has. But it's changing. Whole, it's com it's more computer based. Yeah. So, like, what is the? But I mean, are we going to need a soldier? Or are we going to need some guy from Facebook to work for the military? Good, good point. But I guarantee you, they've already thought of that. You already have it. You got the drone operators. You know, the, this 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 drone operator sitting behind a computer desk at Joe Schmo military base is going to get a bronze star for valor someday or a silver star or the medal of honor. And he never once was near blood or mud. Do you think that's a great, I never heard of that. Never near blood or mud. Um, well, wow, that's a powerful statement. Um, do you, do you think we'll ever lose the need for boots on the ground? You know, that brings me back to a story. <laughs> so I, I started, you know, my first active line unit, you know, like, do stuff unit was long range surveillance. And most of them are disbanded now because of drones. So long range surveillance, modern day long range surveillance, what would we do? We would go watch an intersection for three or four days, completely unhidden. If we came into contact with the enemy, we're out of there. We exhale immediately. We break contact and go. You know, we watch a high value target. We, you know, it's all snooping and pooping. 
but they're all disbanded because drones came about. So do is the ground soldier going to go away? Probably. I don't know. Yeah. I think maybe they may go away with their boots on the ground, but they might be in a machine's boots. You know, like Mech Warrior. Yeah, well, that's a good question. You know, I mean, I mean, going to World War II Museum, you look at that and you think, man, I mean, we're getting very close. Yeah, I, yeah, I just, I, we're getting so close to an AI world now that I just don't know, like, what. War is already being conducted over a computer. Yeah, well, yeah. And I guess, I mean, I guess you'll, at some point, if you take over a piece of, you know, land, you're going to need somebody to, on the ground there to control it. But maybe you don't because you can freaking watch it from from the sky now. Cameras, yeah. Cameras, so you don't really need Well, look, look at most cities. If you run a red light, a week later, there's your bright, smiley face on a ticket. Yeah, I know. Deny that. You're like, oops. Yeah, yeah that's, that's never happened to me. I'm just yeah. using I got, that I got pulled example. over in New Hampshire and I was coming from the show and the guy who pulled me, the cop who pulled me over, I never saw him. Oh, he was in front. That's what it was. He was in front of me and he, and he pulled to the side and then he pulled behind me and pulled me over. And I said, uh, and I mean, I was, I was speeding and I said, how'd you see how fast I was going? He goes, uh, I was told by the drone above you. And I said, well, that's kind of like shooting fish out of a barrel, isn't it? <laughs> he said, kind of. <laughs> and I said, uh, well, that sucks. <laughs> he laughed. He got a laugh out of it. But I'm like, that sucks. I mean, what happens to you being pulled stuck in a tree somewhere and gunning me down, you know? <laughs> you, got a well, you know those two cameras on the back of the squad cars that face at angles? I haven't noticed them, but okay. If, if you're driving and you pass a cop car, look they have two cameras that are angled like at the taillights. Those are actually license plate readers. It'll oh, pop up whether they're current or not. Oh, that's crazy, man. Yeah, uh, but I, at the DMV, I had a state trooper ask me why I wasn't getting purple heart plates. And I said, why should I? He goes, I'll never pull you over. So Brian now has purple heart plates and I call him my get out, well, my get out of jail free card. Why would you not put on purple heart plates in your car? I don't know. I just wanted to feel normal, but I'm a decal junkie. I got stickers all over my truck. Okay. That's the, that's the, you I have like, a, a mobile DD-214. What does that mean? My military record. Oh, okay. I put a lot of my military crap on my truck. Cops well, you. They know you. They know you're a military. I guess. I don't know why I do it. Uh, I think you should put a purple heart on there. I mean, it's funny. I got purple heart license plate. You do, yeah. Yeah, good. I think you. I think you've earned that, brother. I think you've definitely. I can it. literally go as fast as I want past Wisconsin cops. They just wave. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, I get the rental. I'm like, oops, I need to slow down. Yeah. Anything you've read recently or or listened to that really was inspiring? Yes, I actually on the airplane back from Seattle, I watched Harriet Tubman. It's the movie about. The, the Underground Railroad, Harriet Tubman, slave I escaping the South. Uh, oh, the 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 black the black girl. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah. She she frees all. That the was stuff. motivating for me. I was yeah. like, she's a badass. Yeah, I know. I used yeah. to work out at my gym. Really nice. She was really nice. In fact, when my father passed away, the day he passed away, she was working out in the gym, and she noticed. She noticed that I was really. She goes, "Are you okay?" And I said, um, uh, "I just lost my dad." And um, I mean, I, it was it was coming, you know. And I said, "Just lost my dad." So it's just you know, I'm just trying to process it. She goes, "I could tell something was wrong." She gave me a hug, and and uh, she was really sweet. She was really nice. She was. I was like, "Thank right. you." Listen, man. It, um, do me a favor, share the, share those two organizations. I'm going to share those with the people I told when I get back from Louisiana, I'm going to share them. But why don't you go ahead and mention those organizations and I mean, your funds, your two websites here on this podcast. Oh, I, I just, uh, was advised to create a website. So it's msgbrianice.com. So master sergeant, brianice.com. And on that site, um, um, I'm trying to get into the public speaking thing, but on there, there's the um, Joey's Big Heart Fund. Um, and what that is, is we've been doing it out of our own pocket for five years. Um, Joey was a very good teammate on his youth wrestling team. And he's um, had a big heart, um, always cared about his other buddy wrestlers. Um, but Joey was not a good wrestler. He was three and 33 the year he died. Um, so we created the Big Heart Fund um, to help keep that going because it got expensive. But basically every year, the Sandy Creek Youth Wrestling Program picks a wrestler on their team that most eg exemplifies Joey, meaning he's gotta be a team player. He's gotta help out the team. He's gotta be cheering on his teammates but he just doesn't win all the time. And it's not a participation trophy because he's working for it. Um, and then he gets $250, $300 worth of personalized wrestling gear. Um, and then we mirrored that program with the Luxembourg Casco, Wisconsin youth wrestling. So we're doing it here because Joey or Joey's little brother, Jackson is going to wrestle for Luxembourg Casco. So I asked him if we could do that award here as well. Um, just my way of honoring Joey um, and trying to help out, you know, a youth those wrestler. Those funds go to the kids to help them wrestle and or or give them gear for wrestling, right? Yep, absolutely. And then we have uh, Brian's Pay It Forward Fund. Um, I'm not a greedy person, um, so I wanted to create a fund that I could like pay it forward um, if a local vet organization needs fundraising for to do this um i know i live in casco um, my son was killed crossing a highway well luxembourg casco has a highway going through it and there's a park on one side but not one on the other side so i want to build a park i want to have the town donate the lot and then uh, i want to pay for the park so the kids on this side of the highway don't have to cross the highway to go to the park um, so to do stuff like that, That's awesome. so I want to, I created the pay it forward fund to hopefully. So that pay it forward is to help create the park on the other side of the road. And other stuff, whatever, you know, the committee decides we went, we, instead of, I'm not a very intelligent person. I was an infantryman. I'm not saying that infantrymen aren't smart, but, um, funds and accounting is not 
I wasn't good at math, so I don't claim to be good at it. So we umbrellaed under the Greater Green Bay Foundation. So they are managing the funds for us for a very small fee. And they'll, they have their committee and board that approves or denies everything. Right. And just for people who are listening I mean, or reading this, because this will be a blog post as well, they, um, I'm sure you've vetted them out and you've checked them out and they're all on the up and up and you, you trust they're them. They're an absolutely awesome organization. Yes. I, I'm very, from what I know, you know, through our video conferences and everything we've done so far, it's, that's, you know, I wanted integrity and Oh, this, this, this was great, man. And so also, I'm also going to try to, um, I'm going to reach out to some people and see if we can get us on together. Cause I think your story and my story together, it'd be really interesting to see if, um, we can share it, you know, now that the election is semi over, I think. Um, wow. Don't want to go there. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> your state was, man, your state was popular for a little while, man. Your state was your state in Michigan where the two in maybe Pennsylvania, but for Wisconsin, I mean, it's just crazy how one town in the state can be the deciding factor for the entire state. Yeah. It's pretty weird. It's crazy. I don't think the founding fathers intended it that way, but no, I don't. Um, and you know, whatever I'll support who's ever there as long as I get the same respect in return, but I know I won't. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you, man. I, I know I, that's another thing with patriotism, man. It just, I don't, we, it's like you're not allowed, you can only be on one side now. It's like, yeah, it's like I can be friends with you if you're a de- Democrat or a Republican. I don't, it's fine. Just don't, I don't want to. And, and I was asked to do so many interviews for this documentary. One of them was Access Hollywood. Um, we did a Zoom call with Alec Baldwin. And, you know, Alec Baldwin asked me, What do you think about this? And I said, Alec, I'm going to be frank with you. I said, my documentary has nothing about politics and nothing about race in it. So I will not entertain any questions that deal with politics or race on any interview that has to do with my documentary. And he high fives me on the Zoom. He's like, I love it. So, and I I know he's a, I think he's diehard. He's a diehard. Yeah. And and I told him, I said, I'm fine with that. Just don't bring it up and we're going to be fine. I'm tired of fake. I'm so tired of not knowing what's real. I just want real. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, this whole world that we're living in with, with, with social media now, it's like it's become, you know, it's dangerous where it's going. I hope, hope, hope we're able to figure it out because I think our democracy is going to be really dependent on how we, how we navigate the future with these new platforms that we have because I don't think we're, I don't think we're designed as humans and, a, and as a country prepared to deal with these platforms the way they're affecting us. Um, and I mean, I don't know what the answer is. I'm de- it's definitely above my pay grade, but I, I'm hoping that we mm-hmm. get around to it because it needs to be dealt with because I don't know if our democracy can withstand more of this. Um, yeah. You know, no, people- I think there's something coming. Yeah, I think so. I hope so. Because people always think that it can't happen here. I don't know. For some reason, we have this assumption that it can't, nothing can't happen in America, but it can. It can. Yeah, yeah it very much can. It can, man. <laughs> they can come get my guns. There's one in every room. I have a concealed carry permit. I don't think they'll make it past the mailbox, but they're welcome to come get them. Yeah, it was like my friends in Texas. 
I mean, you're, I mean, you're going to have a hard time taking their guns away. Um, yep. Good luck. Good luck. Um, I live in the state of New Jersey, unfortunately, and so um, it's a little bit harder. But um, uh, the first thing I did when I moved back to Wisconsin is went and bought a pistol. Just because in New York you couldn't have one without a permit, Wisconsin you can go buy a pistol as long as you don't have a felony. Yeah, well that's fair. And then that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. If you have a felony, yeah. I don't think I want you having a gun if you have a felony, uh, or crazy. We're all crazy in our own right. It's just what level of crazy. I agree. I'm crazy, man. I'm a nuthead. <laughs> well, listen. Yeah. Uh, this has been an absolute privilege and it's been an honor, man. And I really appreciate you, you as well taking the time to speak with me and um, I'm just going to wrap this up, but just mention your website one more time. MSGBrianEich.com. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening, guys. Please subscribe and share if you found anything in this podcast valuable. You can also find me on Twitter and on Instagram and on Facebook at Douglas Terrell. And you can learn about my play at www.TheAmericanSoldierSoloShow.com. And you can also check out Brian and his wonderful foundations at www.msgbrianeich.com. Thanks a lot.